Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and the all-new Far-Fetched Fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome. Hello and welcome to show 455. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone, I hope everyone is fine and dandy. We have a miserable little day outside, but you know, I'm going to put the jacket on and get the hounds out for a a nice walk. And actually what I'm going to do as well is hopefully film it. So, and I'll stick it up on YouTube just because I'm always talking about the dogs and I'm always kind of... So I thought I'll just kind of do a little film of these mad hounds and stick around right at the end of today's show as well. <laughs> Bloody dogs. Right, so it's show 455. I'll tell you what's coming in today's show. First up is the main fiction, Oh Give Me a Home by Adam Racunas. Then we have Amy H. Sturgis with her looking back at genre history and we're in that kind of Halloween-y little time there as well. So look out for that as well. That's all coming in the Amy show. So that is in today's show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. Now listen, some might go mad here with me because I normally don't kind of go into politics or anything like that. But, you know, I'm kind of looking from the sidelines, but... I'm struggling how Trump is getting wary. Man, it just seems like the worst possible scenario you could have over there in America. Do you know what I mean? Just the way he treats people, the way he talks about women, his views on, you know, he came over to England. Do you know what I mean? We've had like a little kind of deal with him. He came over to England and tried to build golf courses and there was some like video clips of him and he just cared nothing for local inhabitants, you know, like inhabitants, local people in that area, do you know what I mean, just get rid of them, get that house out of the way, and just to put him in charge, man, flicking, flicking Nora, man, it's just not a very nice person, do you know what I mean, everyone's got to admit that, do you know what I mean, He's he's not a very nice person, and I just think, yeah, it's not my country and all that, but I've still got like a little stake in the world politics here, and it's my chance, one chance to kind of, and I don't like say, you just might want to vote for him and that, but just someone that shares them kind of views and, and ideas about other people, you know what I mean? We're all one one person, you know what I mean? We'd, you don't see the woman, the man, the colour, the creed, you don't see any of that. Well, I don't. Do you know what I mean? And yet he seems to, to do that. Do you know what I mean? And we heard on the news a couple of days ago, just like his comments, what he said about people. You know what I mean? Of like women. Oh, man. 
How degrading. How? You know what I mean? Terrible. Absolutely terrible. But that's my two penneth worth there. I know. I know. <laughs> Let's get back into the main fiction. And it is, like you say, Adam Racunas. Main fiction. Oh, give me a home. Originally appeared in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction in the July-August 2013 edition. Adam Rancunas is the author of the Philip K. Dick Award-nominated Windswept and the forthcoming Like a Boss. His short fiction has appeared in Futurismic.com and the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. He has had a long and varied career as a video game engineer triathlon race director oh wow parking lot attendant and an it consultant and a theater rusher man go on there <laughs> just constant i'll take a job give us a job he splits his copious spare time between writing political rambling <laughs> there you go i wouldn't know what your views are adam and being a stay-at-home dad a former southern californian he and his wife, or he and his family, moved in the Pacific Northwest. Find him at online at griro.org. G-I-R-O dot org. <laughs> yeah, they have a professional host here. This story, man. This story. This is... Oh, I wish I could just... Like, it'd be nice to take Michael out for a drink. It's Michael Narrowmore. And Michael is... Being in the, he's been in the game. You know what I mean? The, the temples are grey in there because that's been in the game that long. But Michael's narration, man. Oh, this is just like a proper story. You know what I mean? You're going to put this on, listen to it, and just forget. You're going to forget everything and you're going to forget that Michael's telling you the story. That is, that is in my way, the best, the best way to kind of listen to a story. Just forget about it. Do you know, forget about the... The narrator, you know, you don't want to you know, even know he's there or she's there. So I've gone down the Trump way there. But I'll give you a little heads up about Michael Narrowmore. Michael Narrowmore has worked in the audiobook industry since 2001, when, fresh out of college, he was hired as a recording engineer for Brilliance Audio, now Brilliance Publishing, subsidiary of Amazon.com. Over time, he transitioned to director, all the while absorbing technique and nuances from the best actors in the business. To date, Michael has narrated over 100 titles under his own and assumed names. Authors ranging from bestseller Nora Roberts, Lisa Gardner, Edwin Klein, Clive Barker, man. Just a weave world. If you haven't read Weave World, my, what a world. To sci-fi rising stars, Wesley Shu, Raz, Ramiz Nam, and Mark A. Cooper. He was recently chosen to narrate the prolific playwright and Oscar-nominated screenwriter Robert Arbery's seminal Nature of Man series, which includes the international best-selling African Genesis and the Territorial Imperative, titles which reportedly have been heavy influences on Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick in the debut 2001, A Space Odyssey, as well as Kubrick's adaption of A Clockwork Orange. Michael is also an active writer, musician and recording artist, having scored the soundtrack to an independent short film, produced and engineered critically acclaimed rock records, and written, performed and recorded several little <laughs> lo-fi rock songs of his own. Good lads, daddy, don't play them to anybody. Just keep them, just keep them on your own iPod. He currently resides in the wild and scenic Columbian River, 
gorge outside Portland, Oregon, with his wife, two small boys, and the beloved Golden Retriever. Michael, this is just beautiful, this narration. Thank you so much for coming back on. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. Oh, Give Me a Home by Adam Rakunas. Narrated by Michael Naramore. I had just put the herd into their evening pasture when Lego came over the rise. He was huffing and puffing on his old mountain bike, pushing his enormous bulk up the brown Sierra foothills. Dude, he said, leaning his bike against my Chevy. You're getting sued. Again? I shooed the last of the mini bison into their paddock. One bull snorted and butted the post, making a hollow clang. He backed off, then horned up against the fencing, getting a face full of sparks in return. I looked down at him and shook my head. Always gotta push, don't you? I said, low and soft. The bull stared up at me, one dark eye ringed by a spot of white. He nudged the fence again, then loped to the water trough. Maybe I'd have to ease off on the next generation's muscle density, though that'd affect my price per head. This is different, Brew. He pulled a manila envelope out of his denim jacket pocket. It was already opened and looked a bit wrinkled. I latched the gate and killed the power to yesterday's fencing. Reading someone else's mail is a federal offense, Lego. He rummaged around in his jacket until he produced a lighter and a joint. So's this dude, but it hasn't stopped me yet. Besides, you're one to talk. How many laws did you break making these guys? He nodded at the herd as he sparked up. Breeding. I looked at the hundred or so minis roaming the new paddock, munching away on the sweet grass and clover. A few bulls wallowed in a mud patch while the cows tended to the calves. If it weren't for the horns and humps... You'd have thought they were shaggy St. Bernards until you got close. I prefer the term breeding. Lego toked. Prefer all you want, dude, but they still freak me out. Even when you eat them? Hey, just cause my mouth says yes doesn't make it right. Though you know, if you're grilling more sliders later. I glanced over the front page of the complaint while Lego broke down the fence on the old paddock. American Agriculture Company, Plaintiff, versus Brewster Carlston Higley, Defendant, filed today in California Superior Court, right down the hill in Alturas. The words cease and desist and a date from last month kept leaping out at me. Lego, do you have any other mail for me? Lego blew out a skunky cloud and patted down his jacket. He handed me a stack of envelopes. Checks from licensees who didn't deal with online banking, a donation request from the UC Davis Annual Fund, and yet another manila envelope. It was stamped with the big Amagco logo, a pair of hands cradling a cornucopia stuffed with grapes, wheat, and what looked like a ham. They never had a good art department, even back when they were bombarding my folks with feed catalogs. The letter inside was the usual threat. Amagco was going to sue the living bejesus out of me if I didn't stop breeding mini-bison, and that I had thirty days to comply and respond. Of course, the letter was dated twenty-nine days ago. Lego, remember what I said about getting important letters to me in a timely fashion? Sure, he said, then coughed. <coughs> Courier brought that by this afternoon. 
right in the middle of my stories, no less. Heartbreaking. I looked back to the complaint. Tell me about it. He yanked a fence post from the ground. All this legal stuff, it freaks me out. More than narcos chasing you around the hills? At least it was blatant violence, said Lego. Plus, I could see them coming. But this? You should be like me, Brew, and get off the grid. If they can't find you, they can't sue you. A tinny chorus of Bongra burst from his jacket, and he pulled his sat phone from a pocket. What's happening, babe? Yeah, let me find a better signal. He wandered away, leaving a trail of pot smoke and undone fencing behind him. I sighed. The fencing could wait, but this fat stack of fun probably couldn't. I kept turning the pages, wondering why six lawsuits worth of this grief hadn't allowed me to figure out what it all meant when the last page made my guts sink. Plaintiff presents this testimony to lead corporate counsel Marisol Cisneros. Her name was on the C&D, too. Lego returned, the joint smoldering in his mouth as he thumbed away at his phone. Dude, Elise is totally going to give it up for me this time. We'll head down to the casino in Reading, catch a show, play some slots, then back to my place. I need you to stay here for a few days. Oh, dude. Lego's face fell. This is Elisa Sueño. Cheeks like apples, ass like a cupcake. You can't make me cancel on her. I showed Lego the final page of the complaint and the chicken scratch signature on the letter. Whoa, dude. That's got to be like some karmic thing, right? Just business, I sighed. So can you stay? He put his hands in the air, then stubbed out the joint on the bottom of his foot. If I gotta, I gotta. Just, you know, make sure I'm stocked. I grabbed my backpack. There's a case in the cooler, plus syrup. Lego raised an eyebrow. Real maple? Would I short you on the good stuff? I clapped him on the shoulder. Just don't eat them all at once, okay? Moderation, dude. He tucked the roach behind an ear. I am the picture definition. He belched, then started scratching his crotch. Right. I waved to the minis, though they, of course, wouldn't know or care where I was so long as someone set up new paddocks for them every day. Still, Dad had taught me to be kind and courteous and respectful to livestock, so why not? I climbed into the Chevy and turned the key, listening to the starter grind its way to life. You gotta relax with that thing, dude, Lego called out. It's all in the timing. I sighed and took my hand off the key, then gave it a gentle turn. The engine rumbled, then roared. This'll all work out, bro, yelled Lego, hunched over the cooler and tearing into a package of frozen waffles. The universe will provide. Maybe, I yelled back, but I'll still see our lawyer. I gave the minis one more look, then bounced across the hills toward 395. Gus was hunched over his battered leaf when I pulled up. I killed the engine, and without even looking at me, he said, Oh, for God's sake, Bruce, just give your bison away and leave me alone. 
If I did that, how could I ever pay you? By leaving me in peace, that's how. He opened the door and hurled his briefcase into the car. I was all set for a quiet evening at home, then I heard your truck coming a mile off. So now that's shot. In that case... I already said. The answer is no. Gus turned back to me. He had bags the size of baseballs under his eyes. You always bring trouble. Yeah, but you've won every time, Gus. And look what it's done to me, he said, massaging his side. I nodded. You've got a point. You do look terrible. Gus gave me the finger and climbed in his car, and I dove after him. Can you at least tell me what a Magco's problem is this time? Their problem now is probably what it's always been, said Gus. Your little wonders are a threat to their business, and you're too popular for them to pay someone to shoot you, so they'll just try to kill you one inch at a time with legal fees. Yeah, but what specifically? I pulled the complaint from my backpack and held it out to him. Gus looked at the envelope like it was a dead gopher. I'm going home, and I suggest you do the same. You smell like you've been sleeping in manure. I have. That's how ranching works. No, that's how you work, he said. Even your mom, hippie that she is, doesn't bed down with her herd every night. I cleared my throat. <clears throat> How's she doing? Gus tapped the steering wheel. Go and see her, Bruce. Clean up first. His eyes flicked to the envelope and he snatched it out of my hands. Meet me tomorrow at the market, and I'll let you know how much I'll charge you this time. You're the best, Gus, I said. He started the leaf, its warm-up chime half a tone off-key. You got that right, he said, then zipped away. I cruised through Alturis' main drag, watching the rancher's kids parked in front of the wagon wheel, comparing pickups. It was a Friday night and everyone who could get out was. A few vaqueros, their white stetsons glowing in the streetlights, walked with their wives, some pushing strollers or dragging kids on roller skates. I knew this was a small town, but it looked big and bustling after three months with the herd. Mom's house was on the south side's outskirts. She'd moved there after Dad died when I was finishing my post-doc work. The place never felt like home, even though she'd sat aside a room for me. I pulled into the driveway, stopping in front of an ancient cattle trailer. The dents in its sides made me think back to years of hauling bison to FFA shows, especially since one side still bore the fresh bison jerky sign Maury had made back in high school. The house was lit up, which was a surprise. Most Fridays, Mom would have been in bed by now so she could get up early for market. The back door was unlocked, and I left my boots, bag, and jacket in a pile next to the washing machine. Mom bustled about the kitchen, wearing jeans and a plaid shirt, her short gray hair matted down from the heat. She started when she looked up from her smashed potatoes and saw me. I wasn't expecting you, she said, giving me a quick kiss on the cheek. I looked past her into the dining room. The table was set for two. I can go if you've got company, I said. She shook her head, then went back to her potatoes. You want to scrub up first, go ahead. Heater's acting up again, so the hot water will be dicey. 
There's some envelopes for you there. She pointed to a stack on the counter. Thanks. I grabbed the mail and ducked into the bathroom. As the room filled with steam, I flipped through the mail. Fan letter, fan letter, hate mail, another request from the annual fund, before setting it aside. The shower stall floor buckled under my weight, and the hot water did indeed cut out just after I'd gotten shampoo in my hair. My teeth chattered as I rinsed. Mom's guest hadn't arrived yet, so I wrapped a towel around my waist and hopped into my room. It was small and cramped, more of an oversized closet than a place for me to sleep. After she'd moved in, Mom had unpacked my old trophies from high school and crowded them on a tiny shelf. The ribbons and medals from CDEs and county fairs were dusty and faded. In the middle of it was my thesis in its leather binding. It had been Mari's idea, a ridiculous extravagance at the time, but it was still nice to see Bison Bison Minimus. Smaller Hooves, Smaller Carbon Footprints by Brewster Higley, Ph.D., embossed in gold. That had been a wild time, cracking genes and running cultures and watching as each generation of minis had gotten smaller and smaller. As I flipped through the book, a picture fell out. It was a shot from high school of me and Maury and Lego, all of us in our blue satin FFA jackets, holding ribbons from the California State CDE our senior year. Lego had won his for tomato plants, Maury for her Rock Island Reds and me for my first bison, the runt of the herd we called Tonka. That was back when I still bred them the old-fashioned way. Lego looked about the same, shooting a goofy grin and miming chomping one of his tomatoes. Mari stood so tall and straight that it seemed like she was bigger than anyone in the room, even though she was a head shorter than me. She was usually the first to stand up to whatever feedlot cowboy who'd given me the business for Tonka. They'd never let me show him with the other cattle, no matter how many clean bills of health I presented. Just as well, since he would have beaten them, both in the contest and out in the fields. Exotic livestock always felt like a cop-out category, but Mari was quick to remind me that a win was a win. Did she still use that lavender soap? Did she still know how to keep chickens? Was her condo zoned for poultry? As I dressed in some of Dad's old clothes, I heard the front door bang open and Mom and a woman begin to talk in excited tones. Stepping into the hall, I caught a whiff of meatloaf, spinach, cobbler, lavender. And then I heard her voice, and my gut twisted on itself as I peeked around the corner. Mom and Marisol stood in the front hallway, both laughing, Mari's hand on Mom's arm. She wore a black suit that looked tailored and expensive. I took a step out of the room toward the back door, but the floorboards squeaked, and they both looked at me. Brewster, called Mari, her big brown eyes lighting up as she walked toward me, heels clicking on the hardwood. I waved, backing away as she tried to reach in for a hug. How are you? I said, holding out my right hand. She gave me a sideways smile, then took my hand to shake it. Hers was still a little rough, and when she smiled, I could see the chip on one of her front teeth. Her hair was long and loose her face tanned without looking weather-beaten. God, she looked good. I'm doing well, she said. And you? 
I removed my hand, took a breath, trying my best to remain calm, and failing. Okay, considering the love note you sent me. Ah, said Mari, nodding to herself. You should have gotten that a while ago. Been busy, I said. Plus, I've got Lego doing my mail runs, and punctuality isn't one of his strong suits. She nodded again, but didn't say anything. Mom had gone into the dining room. Wine, anyone? Yes, we both said, then trooped in. A third setting was out, the fork and knife askew. The wine glasses were full, so I took a healthy sip. It was a solid pinot. I looked at the bottle and smiled. I know these guys, I said, tapping the label. They sponsored the lab next to mine at Davis. Here's to science, said Mom, raising her glass. Let's eat. We tucked into dinner, smashed potatoes, wild spinach, and meatloaf. Good stuff, Kathy, said Mari. Homegrown? Of course, she said. We started working with Manny Gamboa for butchering. He just got his mobile outfit licensed, so he can do everything in the field, even packaging and flash freezing. This is from today. I'll have to call him soon, I said. A few dozen of mine are about ready for market. Mom hmmed, then poured more wine. Not sure he'll want to work with you. He's already turned down working for the stories, and the stories ray a magco cattle. I picked up my glass and gave Mari a glare. We raise heritage bison. No, I do, said Mom, banging the bottle on the table. A little wine dribbled on the tabletop. What you raise, I raise what Dad would have wanted. Oh, he most certainly would have not wanted this, she said, gulping her wine. He spent his entire working life keeping the herd alive and thriving and free from any kind of interference. He had to fight off cattle ranchers and developers and every slick salesman pitching their modified feed or jeans or whatever would have kept our bison from being bison. What you did. I did what I had to do to make sure our herd survived, I said. We had to compete with cattle? Fine. We raised something that's tastier and healthier than cattle. We couldn't keep our land? Fine. I bred bison that needed less land and don't need any modified feed. And how does that make you different from a magco? Mom said, her eyes narrowing. My license fees are cheap. But you still charge them, she said. How is that different from hiring out a bull to stud? Mom shook her head, her mouth a hard, thin line. They're not widgets, Bruce. God, all those years at Davis, and what did you learn? That nature isn't always enough, I said. Well. That's not what we taught you. The kitchen timer dinged and Mom got up, taking my plate even though I wasn't finished eating. At least she'd done me the courtesy of leaving my glass. Mari and I gave each other tight smiles. Actually, it's a good thing you're here, Brewster, said Mari. I'd hoped we could talk. I sipped my wine. Okay. I want you to know that the lawsuit was not my idea. In fact, I went to the mat with the board to try and stop it. Mari reached into her suit pocket and pulled out a slim white envelope. She set it down in front of me. Another sip. What's that? A settlement offer, 
said Mari. Four times market price per head. You want to buy my bison, you can do it at auction like everyone else. This time I gulped the pinot. I wasn't finished. Mari leaned back and took a breath. There's also half a million dollars for your research and licensing rights. I set my wine down, then opened the envelope. Inside was a cashier's check for a very, very large amount of money. There was also a paper that, if I signed it, meant a magco would own my minis, horn, hoof, genome, everything. What would happen to everyone who's already bought licenses? That wouldn't be your problem, said Mari. That's not what I asked. I put the paper down. What would happen to them, Mari? She shrugged. We'd have to figure that out when the licenses expired. You're going to kill them off, aren't you? Brewster, there aren't many options. I laughed. God, you really think I'd accept this? You cut me off at the knees, and then you're going to do the same to everyone who ranches minis, because what? They eat into your profit margin too much? They don't use any of a Magco's licensed feeds or licensed antibiotics or licensed genes? Brewster, this is a good offer. You want me to kill my minis? I yelled. Just like you do with every breed of heritage animals. It wasn't enough for you to buy the rights to wild turkeys and Berkshire hogs. Now you're going to take my bison, just like you wanted to take mom and dad's. That wasn't me, Mari yelled back. I was still in law school when that happened. Or did you forget me helping Gus when he took up your dad's case? No but I also haven't forgotten that you went to work for the same people who about killed him. Brewster Carlston Higley! Mom came in the dining room, holding a baking dish full of peach cobbler. Just because you sleep in the fields doesn't mean you get to talk like that in this house. I sat back in my chair. So, you're going to side with her? I said, jabbing a finger at Mari. I'm going to have dinner with an old family friend who helped us when we needed it, said Mom. If your father were here, my father would have thrown her out of this house. I've testified in front of the state Supreme Court, defended my thesis against professors who thought I was insane, faced down countless bulls and animal rights protesters and pissed off rednecks. None of them gave me the same amount of pure anger as Mom's stare. She put the cobbler on the table and pointed at the front door. When she didn't move, I took the hint. I made sure to bang the screen extra hard. Of course, as soon as I got outside, I'd realized I'd left my boots out back. I considered returning, then climbed into my truck. I could retrieve them later. Brewster! Maury walked out of the house, pulling on her jacket. I tried grinding the Chevy to life, but of course it refused to start. I leaned on the steering wheel. Brewster! You know, you are the only person who calls me by my full name, I said. Except Mom when she gets mad, of course. Are you okay? I'm fine. Please leave me to swear at my truck in peace. Never worked before. I'm an optimist. She pushed a loose strand of hair from her face. Could we talk about this? I'm not that optimistic. I sagged against the seat back. Unless this is the moment you tell me you're going to quit your job, 
She snorted. What? And go back to pushing eggs? Eggs are honest. Eggs are a pain. She hugged herself. Chickens are a pain, as are cattle, hogs, and every other form of livestock. If I could do it all over again, I would have grown flowers. I snorted. What, like begonias? Oh, God, you sound like Lego. Where is he? On the range, minding the herd. She took in a deep breath. I forgot what the air's like here. Good and dry. St. Louis is so muggy. Yeah. I ground the starter again. Well, it's been great, Mari, but I need to go plan a legal defense against your evil corporate overlords, so if you'll excuse me... Of course. She stepped away from the truck. You know, you really remind me of your dad now. He'd be proud of you. I just about tore the door off its hinges. That is it! I jumped out of the cab. That is the absolute limit! You can help out Mom, pretend it's just like old times, but you do not get to bring up my father. Not so long as you're working for the same outfit that tried to crush him. And who sent you to college? For one semester, I yelled. One semester's worth of scholarship, and then I had to bust my hump for the next ten years, all because a magco was busy suing Dad over grass licenses. Well, if he'd only paid them... I got in Mary's face. That's not the point! Those weeds drifted onto our land, and all our bison were too smart to eat it. Yet, a magco thought Dad was pirating their proprietary grass like he was downloading a movie. I mean... I started to laugh, then climbed back into the truck. <laughs> Doesn't that strike you as insane? What are you doing now, licensing livestock? Suing farmers who can't pay fees for seed they never wanted to buy in the first place? Good God, Mari. Your bosses realize that people have to eat, right? Mari gave a weary chuckle, then pushed a bit of stray hair behind her ear. Do you have any idea how many people get to eat because of what we do? How many extra tons of rice and wheat and soy we ship overseas every day because of our research? All because you decided you could be smarter than nature. I shook my head. Engineering cows to digest corn, engineering corn that digests easier, when all you have to do is just let cows eat grass like they evolved to do. Which is what you did, right? Said Mari, pointing at me. You just let those minis of yours evolve to get smaller and more nutritious. It was all God's work. I didn't go mixing genes from multiple species to make another. Semantics! Her face was dark with anger. You still had to manipulate your bison genes, just like our food scientists do to our products. Your minis are every bit as artificial as our cattle. My minis are healthier and better for the environment and don't come with an end-user license agreement like those vegetables with legs you call cows. Whatever. She tossed the settlement offer through the window. I can see I wasted my time coming here. <sighs> I could have told you that before dinner. She shook her head. Keep laughing, Brewster. It's not going to help you. You realize you're the president case, right? You won't win, I said. And even if you do, you think you can buy up every species on the planet? Just the ones that compete with ours. She gave me the once-over. Bye, Brewster. See you in court. She walked back to the house.
The front door lock clacked like a gunshot, and the front porch light flicked off. So much for getting my boots. I hunkered down in the front seat and closed my eyes. I'd see Gus tomorrow, and all of this would go away. Gus slurped his peach nectar as he showed me the complaint. It doesn't look good, Bruce. We sat on a bench next to Sue Del Rios's fruit stand, right on the edge of the Third Street Farmer's Market. I took a sample slice of pluot from a tray by my shoulder. That's not what I pay you to say. My mouth tingled from the fruit. You haven't paid me at all. Gus shook his bottle to loosen some of the pulp. And even if you do, I'm not sure we can win this. I snagged another slice of pluot, rolling the bitter skin between my teeth while I swallowed the sweet flesh. So what's their beef this time? Cute. Gus put the bottle into a paper bag at his feet. The Magco's claiming that your minis violate their intellectual property rights. How? I didn't use any of their stuff. Not according to them. He flipped through the complaint, now marked up with a rainbow array of post-its. Gus stopped at the only red one, then cleared his throat. <clears throat> Plaintiff charges that defendant's product utilizes six DNA sequences identical to those found in plaintiff's proprietary genetically modified bovine genome, Model 23. Seriously? That's their case? I waved my hand. No wonder they want to try and settle. This is pure garbage. Wait, so you know about this? He slapped the complaint. And yet you harassed me anyway. I'm still buying you breakfast, aren't I? I have enough professional pride to demand actual money for a retainer. Gus reached into the bag and pulled out a steaming hot tamale. Then get ready to earn it while we whip them in court. I pointed to the page with the red post-it. These sequences are common for every bovine. It's like the way humans and gorillas share DNA. Gus sucked in a breath to cool his mouth. He always chomped into his tamales too soon and burned his tongue. Regardless, a Magco has the patents on the genes, and they're claiming your minis are unlicensed derivative works. I laughed. <laughs> are you serious? We're talking about livestock, not a mashup album. He shook his head as he chewed. Doesn't matter. They're claiming that your research used their patented genes and that you owe them many millions of dollars in back license fees. This is insane. The bison genome is public domain. All heritage animals are. So what are you doing charging for your minis? They're derived from public domain works, and that's still kosher, isn't it? Depends on how they're killed. I didn't give him the satisfaction of laughing. I tapped the papers and leaned into Gus. They can't do this, can they? He shrugged. Like I said, they can't kill you, but they can bleed you dry while you defend yourself. I slumped against the bench back. So I'm on my own, huh? I didn't say that, said Gus. I'll make some calls, get this C&D quashed, which will kick off a whole new mess. He looked at me with his bloodshot eyes. This is gonna cost you, Bruce. 
It could be another run to the Supreme Court, and that's going to mean hiring a staff, getting clerks, the whole shebang. Remember the last time we did this? Yeah, we won. Gus chuckled, his eyes lightening. We sure did. His face grew stony. But that doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy doing it. Gus chomped the last bits of tamale. Your minis may be a giant pain in my backside, Bruce, but they do make for a tasty breakfast. You can thank the Ocampos for that. I nodded toward their tamale stand. I just raised the meat. Then raise more of them, kid, because you're going to need the money. Gus groaned as he stood up. You might want to think about increasing your license fees. Hey, you're my attorney, not my financial advisor. He shook his head. Fine, you hippie. Keep undercharging. See how far that gets you. Far enough. He snorted. Unless you give me another heart attack. Just wait until we go to court. <laughs> Might get a sympathy. He waved and shuffled off into the maze of pavilion tents and fold-out tables. There were giant pyramids of plums, pluots, and other stone fruit. Coolers of fresh cheese and yogurt from the Kinsella goat farm. Tomatoes, broccoli, chard, kale, and other greens everywhere else. All of them were heritage species, grown without paying licensing fees or buying special fertilizer or any of that amagco filth. Normally I would have wandered around, talking about harvests and weather and everything else, but it was too perfect a day to do anything but sit. I took one last slice of pluot and closed my eyes, feeling good and warm from the sun. Dude, wake up! I opened my eyes, and there was Lego, sweaty and panting, leaning over his mountain bike. Lego, I told you, I gotta take care of this. Never mind that, Brew. We've gotta go. Calm down. I stood up next to him, then wished I hadn't. He smelled like the bottom of a fish revival concert. Lego caught his breath. They're taking them! Who's taking who? The cops, man! The sheriff! They're taking the herd! What? Lego handed me a crinkled slip of paper. A warrant. The Modoc County Sheriff had come to enforce the C&D and were permitted to gather up any specimens of bison bison minimus for immediate confiscation, quarantine, and disposal. I ran for my truck, Lego huffing after me in protest. He threw the bike in the back, and as soon as I coaxed the ignition, we tore out of the parking lot. The hilltop was hidden under a cloud of dust as I braked and leaped out. Parked next to the paddock were a big rig with a cattle trailer, a few police cruisers, and two gigantic black SUVs. A pair of sheriff's deputies stood by, next to a man in khakis and a too-clean barn jacket. The herd mooed in protest as braceros yawed them into a trailer. I pulled the plumber's wrench I used for dealing with water lines out of the truck's toolbox, climbed onto the hood of one of the SUVs, and beat its windshield until everyone stopped. The man in the barn jacket ran up to me. What are you doing? I jumped to the ground and thrust a finger in his face. You're on my land stealing my bison. You don't get to ask questions. I shoved past him to get to the deputies, holding up the warrant. You gonna arrest these cattle thieves or what? The older of them sighed. I'm sorry, Doc, but we got word from on high. I snorted. 
Of course. We wouldn't want your boss to turn his back on his biggest campaign contributors. You had 30 days to respond, Dr. Higley, said Barn Jacket. Your product, my bison, I spat. Barn Jacket shrugged. Your bison violate my client's intellectual property rights. You don't have the license to raise them. We'll see about that, I said. By the time you get back to town, you'll find yourself up to your eyeballs and countersuits. Already noted, he said, pulling a sad phone out of his pocket and waving it. Still, under the terms of the injunction, the Modoc County Sheriff's Department has to confiscate your herd. He nodded at the braceros, and they continued leading the bison into the trailers. The pipe wrench tapped against my knee, and I wondered how quickly I'd be able to hit someone before I got shot. One of the younger deputies caught my eye, his hand hovering near his holster. I let the wrench fall to the ground. That's a nice benefit, said Barn Jacket as the last of the bison climbed into the trailer. Must make them getting to market easy. I just stood there. We're going to need your research as well, said Barn Jacket. I spread my hands to my sides. Come and get it. He gave me a once-over, then walked to the undamaged SUV. He opened the back door, but didn't get in, instead talking and pointing to me and the bison. I didn't have to guess who was inside. I heard Lego digging around in his pocket and caught a brief whiff of weed. Put that away, I said, punching him on the shoulder. You want to get arrested for real? Conflict works me up. He took his hands out of his jacket and wiggled his fingers. You and me both. Barn Jacket walked back over to us. We won't be charging you for the windshield, he said, giving me a smile like he'd just done me a favor. How generous. For what it's worth, Dr. Higley, a Magco isn't opposed to what you're doing, he said. It's just that, well, people need to play by the rules. That's kind of tough when your opponent can pay off the people who write the rules. Now, that's not fair, I stalked toward him. Mister, considering all of the heavy-handed, undercutting crap a Magco has pulled with farmers around the world, you have some gall coming here and talking about fair. Barn Jacket stepped backwards. Look, Doctor, you fulfilled your injunction. Now get off my land, I pointed at the road. In fact, get out of my valley. Go back to Sacramento or St. Louis or wherever you're from. I recommend taking 395 so you can see all of the family farms you've ruined with your licensed seed stock and overpriced fertilizers. He shook his head and climbed into the SUV with the busted windshield. The deputies gave us sad nods as they flicked on their cruiser's bubble lights and the whole armada of vehicles rumbled away leaving us with a bunch of dangling electric fencing and the mixed smell of grass, soil, and manure. What now, dude? I double-checked the batteries to make sure they weren't hooked up, then grabbed a post and undid the wiring. First, we clean this mess. Then we wait until dark. I wound the wire around my arm, trying to keep it all orderly. Lego picked up a fence post and cradled it in his meaty arms. And then what? I tossed the bundle into the Chevy. Then 
we steal our bison back. After we packed away the fencing, we rolled to Mom's house. The cattle trailer's tires were still good, though hooking it up was a pain. And, of course, the Chevy starter ground and refused to catch, so I hammered at the horn and cussed out the truck, Chevrolet, Amagco, Marisol, Gus, the universe in general. It felt good to let loose like that, even though it was enough to bring Mom out of the house. She had a coffee cup and an angry look. If you're going to act like a crazy person, Bruce, please go and do it up in the hills where no one will hear you. Lego excused himself to smoke. Sorry, I said. She folded her arms. Your dad used to do the same thing when he was frustrated. That's why his truck always steered a little funny. He'd bashed it out of alignment. Probably not a good thing to emulate. You've gotten most of his good bits. We can overlook a few faults. I tapped the steering wheel. Sorry about last night. That was rude. You're damn right it was. Understandable, but still rude. I shouldn't have yelled. Like Dad taught you, said Mom. Don't yell at anyone. They'll kick you when you're not looking, we said together, then laughed. I know this isn't what Dad would have wanted, I said. I think he would have wanted you to succeed, she shrugged. And I think he would have wanted you to get your herd back. She cleared her throat and looked toward town. I heard through the grapevine that your bison are parked in front of Diego's auto. Something about getting a windshield replaced? She smiled. But you didn't hear that from me. I kissed Mom on the cheek, called for Lego, and we roared away. Diego's was on 12th, on the north edge of town. We took the long way around and parked on Spruce. I left Lego at the truck and ran as quickly and quietly as I could to the back of the shop. The SUV with the shattered window and the rig with the trailer were parked in front, the bison mooing loud enough to hear in the next county. No one was around. Across the street, the other SUV was parked in front of the Wagon Wheel restaurant. Barn Jacket and Mari had to be in there, cooling their heels. I ran back to Lego and told him we were still in business. Lego shook his head, then dug in his jacket until he found a fresh joint. Conflict, man, conflict, he muttered, lighting it up. I'll get the herd into our trailer, I said. You go and distract the crowd at the wagon wheel. Lego blew out a smoke ring and caught it. Not sure I'm up to that, dude. I'll buy you that expensive syrup from Quebec you've always wanted. Lego leaped out of the truck, took off his pants, and sprinted down Spruce Street. There was a howl from the restaurant as he turned onto 12th Street, and everyone ran outside to cheer. It was amazing how someone that big could be so graceful at speed. There was no time for finessing it, so I just pulled the truck into Diego's and backed up to the Imagco trailer. There was still some fresh hay in the bed, and I hoped it would be enough to entice the bison to walk. I got out, scattering the hay into my trailer, lowered the ramp from the Amagco trailer, and stepped away. The bison stirred for a moment, then trooped up to the hay. The air was thick with their musk and trampled manure. I resisted the urge to pet them, 
I'd never done it before, and the last thing I wanted to do was spook them. They jostled and nudged, but they all piled in. All except that one bull with the white eye circle. I took a breath, then climbed in after the bull, remembering Dad's advice. Don't crowd them, don't let them see you scared, and don't cuss in front of them. I held out a handful of hay. Come on, I said. There's plenty more over here. The bison shook his head, then pawed the ground. You want to stay here so they can dissect you? I backed away. Be my guest. But don't come crying to me when you're laid out on the slab. Actually, we're just going to incinerate them outright, said Barn Jacket from behind. Jesus! I spun around. The bison snorted, then backed further into the Amagco trailer. Mrs. Narrows said you were supposed to keep a clean mouth around them. He smirked. He wasn't wearing his barn jacket anymore. He was also, I realized, about a head taller and thirty pounds heavier than me. You are. I crouched down and sprinkled the hay in front of the bison. I guess cattle rustling will get a man rattled. I wouldn't know. I stood up and brushed my hands on my jeans. You would, though, you and your bosses. You're nothing but a bunch of thieves and murderers. I pointed at the bull. You toss that guy in the fire. You're just going to damn another generation of ranchers to more antibiotics and feedlots and all that hell that comes with them. But, you know, you've got to protect your client. So go ahead. I sat down and ran my hands across the floor, gathering clumps of mashed-up hay. I won't resist. I'm a dead man anyway. Barn Jacket pulled his sat phone out of his jeans pocket. His smirk vanished. I heard you were smug, but not a drama queen. You want to see drama? Find out what happens when no one can pay your license fees anymore. Find out what happens when you're up to your neck in dead cattle because the ranchers can't afford the modified feed. You can't see it, but I can. My dad could. That's why he fought a Magco so hard. Barnjacket paused in his dialing. You know, Mrs. Narrows, she talks about your dad a lot. He sounded like a good man. But he was behind the times. So are you. I like to think I'm just too far ahead for you to catch up. He shook his head and thumbed the phone. Sorry, Dr. Higley. I nodded. Me too. Then I threw the hay in his face. It might have had a little manure mixed in. He sputtered and swore while I dove for the mini. The bull mooed as I grabbed it by the horns and dragged it past Barn Jacket, who was too busy spitting out hay to block my path. I lobbed the bison in with the rest of the herd, then slammed both trailers shut. I leaped into my truck, only to find the engine had died. I swore at it, banged the steering wheel, jumped up and down in my seat. The starter just ground and ground. In a few minutes, there would be sirens and cops and guns. Could you get arrested for stealing your own cattle? There was a knock on the truck door, and I jumped. It was Maury, looking confused and angry and holding a stack of mail. You forgot this last night, she said. I meant to bring it to you, but... She looked at the trailers. 
You can't just run, Brewster. For a moment, I didn't know what to say, then laughed. What? You want me to stay and fight? She shook her head. I want you to think of something else. She put one of the letters in my hand. It was the plea from the annual fund. I shook my head. I'm not sure how donating to Davis is going to help me right now, Mari. She patted my cheek. For a smart guy, you can be so dense. Just think about someone else taking up your fight. She reached in, flicked the key once, and the truck roared to life. Your herd deserves better than this. I nodded, gave her a tiny wave, and wheeled out of the lot. Lego ran alongside the truck as I pulled it around to 12th Street. He jumped onto the running board and whooped, Freedom! Freedom! Before climbing into the cab. Jesus, what a scene, I said. But a righteous one, he said, catching his breath. I stomped on the gas and checked the rearview mirror. How much of a head start you think we got? About an hour. He held out his hands and showed me a dozen tire valve stems. These things are real easy to snap off, but a bitch to replace. I looked at the stems, then at his pale bulk. Now, why can't you move that fast when you're doing fencing? Because it's not breaking the law, dude. Lego struggled into his pants. Take a left here. That's a dead end. Exactly. We bumped off the pavement onto an empty lot. We bounced through the hard pack for a hundred yards and Lego pointed to the right. There was a dirt trail that led to the hills. One of my escape routes. Where does it go? Lego shrugged. Wherever we want, dude. The road's wide open. By the time they get a move on, we'll be in Shasta County. I looked at the letter from Davis, still crumpled in my hand. Think about someone else taking up your fight, Mari had said. And then I remembered Gus just yesterday saying, Just give your bison away. That's it, I whispered. What's what? said Lego. How far to your old grow spot? <laughs> Which one, dude? I had Modoc Monster around Trinity and Shasta Shine at Whiskey Town and... Okay, which one would have good pasture for the minis? Lego looked back at the trailer. You serious? Completely. We're gonna hole up for a while, then bring them down to Davis. Davis? What for? We're giving them away. Lego held up a hand, his fingers shaking like he was trying to pop his brain into gear. I know I smoke a lot and stuff confuses me, but this confuses me. I don't know if I can win this time. Gus is getting old, and if he can't handle it, who else is going to take the job? I showed him the letter. I can't fight a Magco, but they can't fight the UC Regents. I'll give them the bison, the licenses, the research, everything. Put it into the public trust. Make the genome open source. Lego's face relaxed, then curled into a smile. You're serious? Completely. The minis belong to everyone, just like the big guys did. I'll surrender my rights. If a Magco wants to sue everyone, they can try.
Lego settled into his seat and dug out a fresh joint. He lit it and took a long, hard toke. So why did we steal these back? I plucked the joint from his fingers, then took a tiny, tiny hit. You don't mess with a man's herd. Dad taught me that. We drove into the night, the road getting rougher and the stars getting brighter. There you go. Don't forget, copyright is Adam's. Adam, what a fantastic story. Man, man. Jeremy, get on Adam's case and try and pry some more out of his hands. That was just fantastic. Adam, thank you so much. If you didn't enjoy that story, don't know what you're doing listening to Starship Sober. That was just fantastic. And Michael, 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 Michael. If I ever can get myself over there, I'm going to buy you a pint. Or if you can come over here, I'll buy you a nice cold Pint of lager or another one of these southern soft shandies down in London area. But it'd be nice to get one day meet up. But if I ever do, that'd be fantastic. Michael, thank you so much. You're a star. So, onwards and, you know, upwards. Now we have Amy H. Sturgis with her looking back at genre history. Amy's me girl! Hello, my friends. It is time for another looking back into genre history. And today I would like to do something a little bit different. I'd like to do something Halloween-themed. As many of you already know, Halloween is the way I roll. It is my very favorite holiday of the year, and it has been all of my life. And I am celebrating Halloween every day this month at my blog, which you can find through my website, amyhsturgis.com. That daily countdown is also available through my Twitter feed and through my Goodreads account, both of which you can also find through my website. Before I start talking about the Halloween-centric aspect of today's segment, though, I'd like to back up a bit. And talk about something I haven't discussed yet this year on the sofa. We've lost a lot of contributors to the genre this year. It's not been a good year in that sense. And, of course, when we are fans of a particular artist and that artist walks on, it is a personal feeling, whether we knew the individual or not, we knew that individual's work and we were moved by that individual's work. After all, art, when it's done well, transcends its time and the artificial boundaries we place between each other, and it helps us to reflect on our humanity in the long term. That's a big deal. There's a particular sadness, I think, in the loss of Anton Yelchin, of whom I was a tremendous fan. He was only 27 when a freak accident took him in June of 2016, only weeks away from directing his first film, which he also wrote. And beyond feeling very, very badly for his family and friends and their loss, which I most certainly do, I feel sorry for all of us because I can't help thinking the world might have had the pleasure of enjoying another 50 years or more of his talent if tragedy hadn't struck. He was, I would say, one of those rare artists whose restraint and subtlety and fierce intelligence made his performances stand apart. Don't forget that at the age of 12, he not only held his own opposite, but also stole many scenes away from Anthony Hopkins in the adaptation of Stephen King's Hearts in Atlantis in 2001. 
I have noticed that a lot of people, including some of his co-stars and a number of folks in the Star Trek community, have been talking about having an Anton Yelchin movie marathon as a way of celebrating his work. And if that's in your plans, and I were to recommend a starting place, I would go with Rudderless from 2014, which may be as close to a perfect film as I've seen in the last decade or more. Rudderless marks William H. Macy's directorial debut, and it showcases not only Yelchin's acting, but his singing and his skill with several musical instruments as well. In science fiction franchise circles, I know that some fans have mixed feelings about the reboot series of Star Trek films that have run from 2009 to the latest here in 2016, and the latest batch of Terminator films. And it's not my purpose here to engage in those debates. But for those of you who are open to reboots, reimaginings, alternate universes, timelines, and or continuations, I don't see how anyone could fail to be won over, either by Yelchin's interpretation of Ensign Pavel Chekhov in the Star Trek films, or his turn as Kyle Reese in Terminator Salvation in 2009. He also shown in several thrillers, uh, perhaps the most intense of which, yes, even more intense than Green Room in 2015, uh, to my way of thinking, was Broken Horses, also from 2015. My list of recommendations could go on and on and on. But I mentioned earlier Halloween, and let me finally bring these two topics around together. What I would like to do is offer a humble list of the most Halloween-friendly Anton Yelchin films. So if you would like to have a mini-marathon and you want to be in the spirit of the holiday and of celebrating Yelchin's work, here are some films to which you can go. And I'm going to give these in ascending order based on my own personal recommendations. So we'll start with number five and go to number one. Number five, I would recommend Only Lovers Left Alive from 2013. This is a moody, impressionistic, highly visual film. What else do you expect from Jim Jarmusch? It follows Tom Hiddleston and Tilda Swinton as vampires and lovers who share a long history, but now live half a world apart. It's kind of a study of entropy. The whole theme of the film is that everything eventually falls apart, whether it's relationships or ideas or cultures, civilizations, etc. The spookiest character by far in the film is the crumbling ruin and progress of Detroit, which serves as the backdrop for much of the film. That's where Tom Hiddleston's character lives. And they really didn't have to do much to Detroit to make it look like this dystopian nightmare. And I've seen a lot of reviews where people who know Detroit well say, oh, that was really rough to watch just watching Detroit there in the background. Um, Shakespeare aficionados may or may not like the film's argument about who the bard actually was and how he came up with his work, although John Hurt's performance is really fantastic. Yelchin portrays practically the only human character, the humans are called zombies by the vampires, uh, the only human character in the movie, and 
he connects with viewers in this poignant, subtle way that all the other characters don't. He's really our connection to this world as he is the human. And he has some crucial, uh, pretty powerful scenes, particularly with Hiddleston. I'll confess it's at the bottom of my list because there were parts of the film I couldn't quite take seriously. And they were intended to be taken seriously for the most part. This wasn't tongue-in-cheek as much as it could have been. And that's because uh, Hiddleston's character is kind of like a vampire version of Forrest Gump because he kind of knew everyone who was ever interesting anywhere, anytime throughout history, and it's a little implausible that he got around that much. But certain scenes were dark magic, especially the final scenes of Anton Yelchin in the film, and also the visuals themselves just it's a beautiful film to watch you can practically treat it like a silent film and you'll be just fine and i'm glad i watched it so only lovers left alive number five number four in my recommendations of halloween friendly anton yelchin films to watch this october burying the x from 2014 this is very much tongue-in-cheek, and willfully so. It is a send-up of the horror genre. Yelchin's character works at a horror shop called Bloody Mary's, and his required exiting farewell to everyone is go to hell. And his new love interest works at a Halloween-themed ice cream parlor called I Scream. And if only his deceased ex-girlfriend weren't undead and more than a little territorial, the hero and heroine could have a real romance, because clearly they're meant to be together. It makes nods to everything from the original Twilight Zone series to Shaun of the Dead, just about everything in between. Um, if you're going to have a makeout scene in a film, this is exactly how to do it. That is, in a graveyard at an open-air showing of Night of the Living Dead. Yes, that is my aesthetic exactly. It's, it's crass in its body, the easily offended will be, but it's really also exuberantly self-indulgent in its embrace of genre. And if you watch it, my recommendation would be to be sure to note all of the details of each set. The posters on the wall, the items on the shelves. This was clearly put together by people who love horror and science fiction and that blurred line in between them. Jolly Halloween goodness. So that was Burying the X from 2014. My third recommendation is Fright Night from 2011. This is a horror-heavy reinterpretation of a humor-heavy camp film. You need to take its origins into account. If you do that, you can have a great time with this movie. In many ways, it is a lot smarter, certainly more stylish, than the original. So Colin Farrell is Jerry Dandridge, the vampire who moves into the neighborhood, David Tennant, that's right, the doctor, is Peter Vincent, the over-the-top Vegas showman and self-styled vampire expert, and Anton Yelchin is Charlie Brewster, the teenager who has to step up, step in, save his town from the evil of the vampires almost single-handedly. Some very good actors, including Tony Collette as Charlie's mother, had some really good fun making this movie. And the cat and mouse back and forth between Farrell and Yelchin, and also the sort of wry 
camaraderie that grows between Tennant and Yelchin. Both are just delicious to watch. Go into it with the right attitude. You'll have a good time with Fright Night from 2011. Number two on my top five list would be Odd Thomas from 2013. I really do recommend this to everyone. I thoroughly enjoyed this charming film about Odd Thomas, who is played by the perfectly cast Yelchin, an unimposing, self-effacing young everyman who just happens to be psychic. As he says, I see dead people, but then by God, I do something about it. It's based on the Dean Koontz novel of the same name, which began the entire Dean Koontz series of Odd Thomas books. And, ugh, I really hate to do this, especially in front of friends like you, but I'll admit I haven't read it, okay? So don't throw Rotten Tomatoes or, you know, anything else. But I do understand from those who have, those who in fact are some fans of the book series, that the movie stays quite true to the voice of the books. It's dry and witty and unexpectedly poignant, this film. Odd Thomas heroically helps both the living and the lingering dead, and the movie has it all. Horror, mystery, action, romance, humor, heartbreak, and hope. There's a kind of underdog-makes-good heart in both the script and in the performances. I really enjoyed it, so I recommend Odd Thomas from 2013. And now we are to my number one recommendation. If you want to have an Anton Yelchin film fest and do it this month, it is a good time to have a Halloween-themed film fest as well. I would recommend The Driftless Area from 2015, which just blew me away. It is based on the neo-noir novel of the same name by Tom Drury. And yes, I have read that book. Thank you very much. If you have read the book, I recommend the film. If you have not read the book, I would recommend seeing the film and taking it on its own terms and then reading the book. In that case, I think reading the book will just enhance your appreciation of what you saw. It's a dreamlike, haunting, very powerful story. The film is a dreamcast. Anton Yelchin and Zoe Deschanel lead this remarkable, pitch-perfect cast that includes John Hawks and Alia Shaukat and Aubrey Plaza and Frank Langella and Kieran Hines. It's just beautifully put together. In unfolding this narrative that's part coming-of-age tale, part true love story, part mystery and revenge saga and murder drama, part study of life in a small town, the real heart of both the film and the novel is the question of whether we simply drift along and life happens to us, as it often seems as we're living life, or if there is meaning and maybe even, you know, destiny involved in our stories as well. Do we make meaningful choices? Do we ever even get to? The reason I'm putting this on a Halloween-friendly rec list is because one of the characters... One of the main characters, lead characters, in fact, died before the film even began. And one of the major plot points that drives the film is the need for justice. 
related to the past murder of that character. This isn't a classic jump-in-your-seat kind of Halloween spine-tingler by any stretch of the imagination. It's the kind of film that insists that you connect the dots and work on it, both during and after the viewing. But if you're looking for something that is haunting in just about every sense of the word, well, this is it. And Anton Yelchin's quietly intense, invested performance is one of the movie's many highlights. Again, that is The Driftless Area from 2015. And with that, I would like to thank you for sharing this time with me and allowing me to celebrate the life and work of an artist I admire. And of course, I wish you the happiest of Halloweens. I look forward to joining you again soon with another look back on genre history. Thank you. Amy, what can I say? Big hugs, big hugs. While I'm coming over there to Michael, I'll, I'll meet up with you as well and get you a, you're, you like your little drink. You see, you don't. But when you were at Worldcon that time, oh, like a fish, guzzling, guzzling, red wine, bottles of the stuff. There you go. <laughs> Two little half glasses, no? I've had enough, oh, oh, I've had enough. <laughs> right, that is today's show. I do hope you will... No, you'll not stick around, man. Just, I'm excited. <laughs> I don't know what for. Don't, not for getting Trump in the bloody White House, man. Get him out of there, for God's sake. Until next week, just like to say, good day from me. Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honour and artistic judgement? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of Stories of Activation Procedure Initiated. Shuttle set for launch. Airlock will be opened in 3, 2, 1. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Douglas! Douglas! Come here, Douglas! Come here! Douglas! Wait, get out! Douglas! Douglas, get here. What's this? What's this? Eh? What's that? What's this? Oh, look at that. <laughs>